Welcome to episode 65 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Levi Tate. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Levi Tate. Levi, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited for this. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. I'm I'm excited to chat with you. You're you're in Vancouver now, but you're not originally from Vancouver. So tell tell us about where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually uh, in Victoria, which is just on the That's island, right. just west of uh, Vancouver. But originally you're in Toronto, guy, to say that it's Vancouver, but it's yeah, <laughs> I, get, I get a little tired. Like even friends from Alberta don't know the difference. But uh, yeah, so I've been in Canada for about eight years now. Originally, I was in uh, Alberta, Edmonton like the first five or six years and then i moved out to bc a couple years ago did about two years in Kelowna, and uh then kind of realized i missed the ocean after you know growing up on the ocean every day in new zealand so i uh, moved out to the island here which it reminds me a lot of new zealand like very similar climate people are very similar so i, I missed it so i'm happy to be back in this kind of uh you know in a similar sort of area to to new zealand yeah interesting i wouldn't have i wouldn't have guessed that there would be a lot of similarities between victoria and new zealand but i guess like just the living by the ocean it, like it has to change you i've I, I you know last summer in florida i lived by the ocean for six weeks and it feels different like everything's just a little bit more chill you realize that yeah. there's this huge powerful ocean and just like it's it's just different and it's hard to put into words but it's just different yeah i kind of find like everyone's a bit more chilled laid back here um whereas kind of inland in both Kelowna and Edmonton, everyone's a little bit like go 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 kind of stressed out everyone here is just kind of just goes with the flow yeah yeah and maybe yeah. that's how it should be did you yeah, exactly. when, when you came over did you notice any big difference in like the fitness culture between new zealand and, and canada i know you've lived in a few different cities but in canada in general uh yeah i guess so new zealand everyone's a bit more athlete based because like new zealand has a very proud like culture of you know we're a smaller country but we're some of the best in the world say for example that all blacks like you know, everyone in New Zealand supports the All Blacks and a lot of training back there is very like athlete focused, you know, uh, more towards like the sort of the CrossFit style workouts. Bodybuilding isn't as prevalent there as it is here in North America. Um, even just the, the style of training is, is here at Singapore when my circle particular is more to like physique orientated, like how can we improve muscle? Whereas back there, it seems, how can we improve performance? Right. Interesting. right so that's something I have noticed for sure. And and that even goes across like just general population, like most people, not not professional athletes or trainers who are pursuing this as a, as a career. Yeah, exactly. Like even the gyms there, there's not really much of bodybuilding gyms. It's more just, you know, there's probably a lot more cardio, a lot more, you know, boot camps and stuff just to improve your general fitness interesting so yeah. then so then when you came here you are a coach yourself and a trainer yourself but you also compete in bodybuilding so how did that transition happen like when did you start to start to get into bodybuilding yeah for sure so i guess it was always kind of on my mind like i grew up as kind of like a, a fat chubbier kid so then i kind of had you know a need to look a certain way and i think everyone in bodybuilding they come from a place where you know that they want to fix the way that they look maybe it's some underlying mental issues or something but uh so when i came here i was training a little bit in new zealand like just i grew up playing a whole bunch of sports athlete like more athletic style training and then it was probably when i was about 23 i'm 28 just in 28 last week um 
I did my first bodybuilding show. I was in the gym, like overtraining like crazy, like twice a day, you know, like 10, 12 sessions a week kind of thing. Just training too, too much just because I, I really enjoyed it. But the, the training was, I wasn't taking enough recovery rest days and I wasn't really getting anywhere. But then uh, I kind of realized, you know, I, I need a goal to aim towards, right? It's, I find uh, I need, you know, something to, to set a goal for and aim towards that. So I did my first bodybuilding show when I was, what year was it? I think it was around 2014. Um, and Classic Physique had just come out a few years prior, and that was probably the physique I, I liked the most and probably looked, you know, the most similar to. But realistically, I, I wasn't training for bodybuilding, you know, until like five months before that. And then I, I got on stage. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I had a lot of muscle mass that I needed to gain in order to be competitive. So the, the plan was to take a take a year off and then just put on that extra size and then come back again. But with uh, COVID, that one year turned into two years. And then so it was about three years until I stepped on stage again, which was last year. And um, I did pretty well in that show, but I still was probably 20 pounds under my weight limit. So in classic physique, it's a, it's a height to weight ratio. Okay. And, you know, if, if you're 20 pounds under the guy that's just as lean and he's at that weight cap 20 pounds heavier than you, then he's obviously you know, going to do a lot better than you, depending on, you know, the structure and the presentation. But so even then I thought I was like, okay, I'm a pretty big guy, but I talked to my coach. He's like, you're nowhere near big enough to be competitive. Right. In order to get a pro card, he's like, we got to take a couple of years off here and really grow if we want to, you know, get you a shot at that pro card here. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It, it's, it's probably weird for some people to hear. Like if you see, if you, if you go to Levi's Instagram and see him, like, obviously like you're a big, huge dude. And it's like thinking that you're not big enough is like kind of crazy to most people, but this is where the, like the sport of bodybuilding and just training to be a regular person is very different, right? Like yeah. you are obviously big enough to, to be like a regular person, have enough muscle mass, but for the sport, which is a different thing, which is not necessarily like healthy or, or whatever that's different. Right. And, yeah, exactly. and w- one thing that you did mention there that I, that I kind of want you to go over, and this is a question that I have, and, I, and I'm almost ashamed to admit that I don't even know this as a trainer, but what do the different classifications in bodybuilding mean? Classic physique, like what do those things mean? I have no idea. Yeah, for sure. So basically the, there's three main categories. So you have like the open class bodybuilders, generally 212 is kind of lumped into that. And that's guys that weigh under 212 pounds on stage. Right. But say in Canada here in the amateur level, if you just get your pro card and bodybuilding, it's done via the weight class, right? So the height isn't so important, but it's like, you know, if you're under a certain weight, you're a lightweight. Under a certain weight, you're a heavyweight. And then what you do at the, like on the provincial level, you need to qualify, right? So if you get top three at a provincial show, you get to go to a national level show. If you win that overall class, you get your pro card, right? Okay. So I believe there's about four opportunities a year in Canada to get your pro card. Right. So there's not a lot compared to somewhere like the States, like they have right. one every weekend. Um, so that's, so there's open bodybuilding, which is the guys that wear like the fongs, you know, they're generally a lot bigger guys. And then you have classic physique, which is a height to weight ratio. They're okay. looking for more of a physique kind of like Arnold was back in the day, not too, too big, very aesthetic, good presentation and structure. And then that's kind of have like the short sort of boxer black briefs. That's what Chris Bumps did. He's the, he's the king of classic physique. Right. And then you have men's physique, which is, and these, these guys are no joke either. Like the top guys, they, they have a lot of muscle on them. Now there's kind of a, 
a joke saying like, oh, men's physique guys are small. They don't train legs. But if you look at the top guys, they would destroy you know, <laughs> anyone. It's, it's pretty crazy now. They've, they've come a long way there. So those guys wear board shorts. You know, there's more of a focus on, you know, their abs and their V taper. And the posing is a bit more simple. They don't do a posing routine, but they have just, you know, front shots and back shots. So those are the three main classes. The female ones, like they have, I think, four or five different classes. I'm not as well versed on those, but most chicks go for the bikini, which is, you know, just kind of like your typical beach body kind of look. But those girls have a lot of muscle on them too at the top level. Yeah, it is. It is difficult to differentiate. Like I see pictures of bodybuilders in this class and this class and I like to an untrained person, like I don't really know the difference. I can't really tell the difference between them. Like they all just look huge and jacked to me. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, I can see that, you know, the, 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 some guys wear the long board shorts, some guys don't. And I'm like, okay, that, that, that's a noticeable difference. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some of the guys look bigger and, and not, but, but I guess part of the art of it is different as well. Like what you were alluding to there where, um, where the classic physique, there's a little bit more of like, there, there's a routine to the posing and it's not as structured where in the yeah. other class there's like, okay, you just do these, whatever, seven or eight poses, however many there are, you do those. And there's not like a, I don't want to say a dance, but like choreography kind of to yeah. it, to, to it, which, which is not really that, that far off. It, there is coordination it's, with the music and you hit poses at the certain beats in the song. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of top pros, they hire choreographies and like ballet teachers to help them with their posing and their presentation. And even like, for myself like it takes a lot of time to find the right song and then because there's a certain mandatory pose that you want to be able to hit in that right, right. so it's like, okay how can i work these in how do i transition into that pose without it looking too sloppy like you wouldn't want to go from a, a front pose straight to a back pose right you'd want to work something like a side pose in between as you switch around so you know there's a lot more to it than than people realize yeah and and how long does that posing routine last for uh typically they're about 60 seconds um on the open bodybuilding though they can be a little bit longer for something like physique there is still a little bit of opposing but it's more like just a, a 30 seconds just go um you know show your physique but you know and i think maybe even the open bodybuilders have a little bit longer time as yeah. well so yeah and and definitely something that needs to be practiced and trained because even just holding poses like that's already tiring even if you're not a bodybuilder like just go and find eight positions and like flex as hard as you can for yeah. like a few seconds over 60 seconds like you're going to be gassed <laughs> like you're that, going like to be so gassed every single muscle in your body group and your body as hard as you can trying to hold a perfect pose like and smile. that's why yeah like before like you know weeks and months before you got to get that routine dialed in and just hold it for as long as you can because if the guys that haven't practiced it shows on stage right right they can't hold a pose the, the drip and sweat and they're tired and it's going to hurt you big yeah. time right yeah and this is where a little bit more of the more of the art of bodybuilding comes in i guess where guys who who maybe aren't as big or aren't as symmetrical or whatever the case may be they can make up a few points based on their based on their posing routine yeah a hundred percent and even uh so i work with a, a physiotherapist and you know just he's been able to tell me he's like you can't open up your chest properly you can't open up your back how you should be able to so we're going to work on that a lot this year to just work on that movement and mobility so i can actually display my physique that I have without tight muscles kind of affecting that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy you said that because this is something that I've been focusing on in to a degree with myself lately is just doing kind of like joint training, a lot of the functional range conditioning kind of stuff where it's like, it's just trying to access more space in my joints. And so when yeah. you translate that to, to bodybuilding, it's like, well, if I'm trying to hit like a front double bicep, but I can't even get my arms up and like out. And because my shoulder is so impinged and my chest is so tight, well, like now my bicep and everything else is going to look smaller. And it's not because I'm small. It's because I don't have shoulder access. Exactly. So, so that's like a huge part. So what, what kind of stuff do you do to, to train that? Yeah. So he, he's got me through like I, something that I've, I've kind of struggled with is my, my lat mobility and being able to open them up properly and display that. So he's got me going through like, I can't really, it was pretty cool last week. Uh, he showed me how he could do his cat cows. Right. And he was able to move like each vertebrae individually. And myself being a big bodybuilder, I have a lot of muscle there and it's just like one big movement, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I can't do that. So just little movements like that, like stuff like thread the needles and then making sure I'm spending a lot of time when training with that lat in the fully lengthened position to also stretch that out. And that's, that's important too, like the, the movement and mobility for training, right? If you can't access that full range of motion while you're working out, you're not going to be optimally able to grow and target that muscle in training, right? So there's so many aspects, like as bodybuilders, we get bigger and bigger, we put on more muscle, right? But we're not really focusing on our movement and mobility and being able to, you know, we're not really stretching that muscle out as much as we should. So we don't really get full access to it. So that's something I, f- I think is super important for training is including some sort of mobility or stretching routine whether it's, you know, pre-workout, post-workout, or even intra-workout, there's a, um, have you heard of Jordan Peters? He's out of the UK. Jordan Peters? Yeah, he's yeah, a top bodybuilding coach. So not Jordan Peterson, the Canadian guy, but yeah. JP. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar to me, but but go ahead. Okay, so he, he's one of like the, the top bodybuilding coaches in, in the UK. And uh, he actually implements like loaded stretching intra-workout. Right. So say, for example, like, after after you do your chest exercises he'll have you lay down on a flat bench with a couple like 20 pound dumbbells out to the side and try hold that for a minute right right? just plump blood and nutrients into that muscle and then say when you go to like you do shoulders afterwards or something he will have you like do a loaded stretch and i find that really helps as well yeah yeah totally yeah there's so many iterations of that like the loaded stretching i think it's something that kind of came from from the gymnastics world actually like years ago, like maybe into like Soviet Russia time yeah. um, where, where they were doing a lot of these loaded stretching things. And now, it, you know, everyone calls it animal flow, FRC, you know, whatever, all these different things. And they're all kind of the same thing. It's like get that joint into its end range and then yeah. put some force through it because like it's great if you can put your foot behind your head, but if you have no force there, like what does it really matter? And especially for bodybuilding, when you're trying to lay down muscle tissue essentially everywhere as much as you can, like, yeah, you want to put your shoulder here, but then you want to have some force to be able to put through there to put a little little bit more tissue into the pec muscle, into the front delt or or wherever you're you're focusing on. Exactly. It's kind of like progressive overload on everything, right? Exactly. And then eventually you want to start putting a bit more weight and get into a more lengthened position. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think people are, are, not familiar with bodybuilding enough and they see the surface like oh wow a bunch of big jack dudes and and girls and like there's there's a whole lot more to it than that and and diet is something that's even probably more important than than many things and and we'll talk about uh 
we'll, we'll talk about that now, I guess. But so t- tell me about like, what does your diet look like? And, and through the phases of it, because one of the things that has kind of came from bodybuilding and has probably been bastardized for general population is this whole bulk and cut concept. And people take it way too seriously where like as a bodybuilder, like, yeah, you got to go seriously hard to like bulk up and then you got to cut right down to get super lean for stage. Most yep. people like there's no need to do that. Like you don't need to get big and fluffy to put on like, you know, six pounds of muscle in, in, in three years. You know what I mean? No. And I think, uh, and I kind of learned this the hard way originally, like when I was younger, I'm like, okay, I got to eat as much food as I can in the off season, get as big as possible. Then I was getting like pretty fat, right? Yeah. So my insulin sensitivity was way off. My blood glucose was going pretty high. So that wasn't optimal for muscle growth in the long run, right? Having that amount of fat. And I, I believe like, especially in the old days, that was kind of the general consensus for bodybuilding. But, you know, people are pretty onto it now and they realize actually, no, you're better to stay in a, in a leaner place, like sub 20% body fat. You're going to get a lot more out of the gym. Like, yeah, maybe you might not be able to push as heavy is when you've got an extra 20 pounds on, but you're going to gain a bit more muscle, right? Yeah, and especially when that's the goal. Like the, the sport of bodybuilding is not about having the heaviest bench press or the heaviest deadlift. Like exactly. that's the sport of powerlifting and that's great. And like, yes, yeah. your bench press and your squat is probably pretty heavy, but you don't actually care about how heavy it is. You care about are my quads growing, is my chest growing? Like that's what matters. Exactly. And so yeah. you've got to match, you know, what you're doing to the goal and, and not chase the, the incorrect goal, which is a yeah. thing that I think a lot of people start to do. Yeah. And I, I was guilty of that as well, but now I've definitely cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, working with a good coach now who's made sure I kept tight this off season, you know? So it was, it was still kind of hard because I like to eat and I could always eat more. Like that's just me and my body type. Yeah, But he's like, you know, we're, we're keeping it under like last year, I got up to 280 pounds. Like I was just like pounding food, trying to get as big as possible. And I realized it didn't work and it, it made it very hard for me come prep time because it's like, I think I started my prep around 260 and I was below 220 on stage. Right. And how long but was that prep time? That was about a four or five month prep. Okay. But it, it made it really hard for me. I had to end up doing crazy amounts of cardio. The food was pretty low. Like for someone my size, it got down to like 1,700 calories on, on rest days, which is not a lot of food for someone like myself. Yeah, that's insane. And uh, so we got to be careful. Like that was something that we, myself and my coach talked about this year. It's like I, I wasn't in a place where my food was high enough to be able to really start a prep without it going too low. Right. Right. Because say, for example, we were going to start, if we were to start when we were talking about it, my food was only at 2,800 calories. So it's like, okay, where do we go from there over a three or four month period? You know, you're not, you're going to be eating barely any food by the time you get to show and you're going to be losing a lot of muscle, a lot of muscle mass because of that. Right. Right. So it's like, okay, let's kind of fix the metabolism a little bit here to the stage where we're pounding, you know, 3,500, 4,000 calories a day without sacrificing body fat then we're in a good place to start prepping for a show. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for people listening that the aggressive cut, and this is something that, that I'm doing right now on myself, like just to experiment and just go through it and, and whatever. And I don't recommend it to anyone. And again, bodybuilding is a sport. So like Levi, you know, you had to do that for the purposes of your sport. You wouldn't have just done that in that aggressive way. And I'm sure no. you don't do that with any of your clients that aggressively either no. or any clients who are not also bodybuilders. 
where it's like, okay, we're going to literally cut your calories in half or maybe even less be on like a, almost like a 1500 calorie deficit per day. Like that's crazy, right? Like there's no need to do that. It it definitely works. No one said it didn't work, but it's not the best way to do it. Yeah. I I mean that we we kind of built up to that. It wasn't overnight. It took a few months to get there, but it's not at the end of the day, it's, it's not a healthy sport, you know, right? like starving yourself in the in the prep and then like forcing food down in the off season like it's probably not great for longevity yeah. like at all yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is a very rewarding sport and you know sometimes you got to do whatever it takes to get to that goal of course and it's like as long as you're willing to to make those trade-offs then hey by all means like go for it right? I've, I've, I've often said that almost no sport is like healthy for for just health and like longevity how many baseball yeah. players like they're just their shoulder and elbow is just like mangled how many football players can't even walk basketball players their knees are destroyed like okay maybe it's not as drastic as like gaining and losing as much weight as a bodybuilder does over the course of 12 months but or a full season cycle but it's still not great for your health, but the point of the sport is not to be the healthiest. The point of the exactly. sport is to be the best at the sport. I, I had that conversation with a friend last week. She's like, is bodybuilding healthy? I'm like, well, no, but is any competitive sport healthy? Yeah. Like you think about these hockey players that are on the road, you know, their sleep's probably terrible. You know, they're getting beat up every single night. <laughs> like yeah. there's no sport at a competitive level is healthy, yeah. you know? And, and you we gotta, have to stop pretending that they are. Yeah, exactly. Like at, you know, kind of like in a, just like an amateur level, we don't take anything too serious, then yeah, they're great. But if you want to be the best at anything in life, it's, it's not healthy, even in business. Like you're, you're working crazy amount of hours a day. You're sacrificing sleep, your family, your relationships to be the best at anything. It's it's not healthy. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's trade-offs and we got to be willing to we got to understand what those trade-offs are and then decide whether or not we're willing to pay the price, so to speak, right? Yeah. Risk versus reward, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, on the eating side, when you're so on the topic of like unhealthy and eating, when you are bulking up and trying to eat so many calories, like what what would be like a bulking amount of calories for for you? So, for me at the moment, like I'm still trying to keep it pretty lean, but it would probably be around 3500 calories. Right. And, and, and this is something that I would do for like, say a client that comes to me, right. I'll, I'll find out where they're at and just to start off with, if they're trying to put on weight, I'll just put them in a 500 calorie surplus. Right. But that could be way off depending on the person, you know, like I have some female clients that are 120 pounds and they're eating over 4,000 calories a day and they're still not gaining weight. Right. Right. Whereas I have some male clients that are 280 pounds and they're eating 3,000 calories a day and they're still not losing weight. So it, it completely depends on the person, right? But typically what I would do is like for, for myself or for someone that's trying to put on weight, is like start off with a 500 calorie a week surplus, find the foods that work for you and digest well for you. You know, typically the, the, the protein and the carbs won't, uh, the protein and the fats won't change as much. Like I like to go pretty high on the protein, like 1.2 to like one to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And then fats that depending on the person and how they respond to them, typically we'll put them, you know, depending on the person, somewhere between 50 and a hundred grams, right. Or from like good quality fats, whether it's salmon, avocado, coconut oil. And then usually the carbs is what I will play with, like for myself and for my clients, right. It's like, okay, let's be smart about where we're going to increase these carbohydrates 
you know, typically on training days, we're going to put majority of the carbs in your pre insurance and post-workout meals, right? And then I'll probably pull them back quite a bit on rest days. We don't really need them as much. Like I want to use them to fuel the workouts. When I, on rest days, I'll probably bump up the, the healthy fats a little bit. So the calories don't drop too low and we can pull the carbs back. So for, for myself and for my clients that are trying to put on size, I will, in that pre-workout meal, give it about an hour to 90 minutes before training and have like a fast digesting carb source. Something like cream of rice is great or just rice, some fruit, you know, pineapple, banana, blueberries, maybe some fruit juice, coconut water, and then implement uh, you know, some carbohydrate powder during the workout, right? So where it's carbolin, highly bound cyclic dextrin, cluster dextrin, like something like that so you can get those carbs in while you're training because you're depleting the glycogen stores like every single rep you do, right? So rather than us need to rush home and get food in, like, you know, this anabolic window, you need to get that food in. It's like, okay, if we can get some nutrients in from like a carbohydrate powder, some EAAs, um, maybe some like some sodium as well, like, and just drink a bunch of water. And then after we train, we can kind of let the body come back into a, parasympathetic state right and then we'll likely about it you know give it about an hour after your last rep set then we'll get a bunch more carbs in there as well because you're gonna you're in a place where you're going to be digesting them really well so depending on when the client trains or like for myself when i train like if i train later in the day majority of my carbs will be around that if i train early in the day majority of my carbs will be in the morning and then i just kind of those three meals are the one main ones i'm going to look at and I'm going to increase food in the off season. Right. And then on off days or, or on non lifting days, do yeah. you, do you eat no carbohydrates or do you just have it lower? And how do you organize the timing of those? So for myself, it's still around about a hundred grams, right? For some people that might be quite a bit, but myself, it's not really. For some people I might even go lower, right? I, I think it's still important to have some in there. You could play around with it for sure and just do no carbohydrate days, but um, I think it's still important to have some in there. And um, I will definitely up the fats to kind of, you know, when we pull those carbs down, there's a lot of calories coming down. I will definitely push the fats a lot higher on those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and it's very, again, I'm asking what, what you're doing because I know that it's like, it's very individual and it's hard to make like blanket statements about what everyone should be doing. Like certainly some people will feel amazing and feel great having like little to no carbohydrates, 50 or less grams. And some people will feel absolutely horrible doing that. Yeah. And the thought of it like makes them sick. And so like they, even on their rest days, they've got to have more. And, and like, and that's okay too. Like both, both ways to do it are okay. But I think the the important thing here is finding what works for you. I, I tend to lean more towards the, the way that you do things as well, where it's like on non-training days, I just feel better having a little bit lower carbs, especially yeah. if I'm try, trying to lose, but even in general, and I try and push them right after the workout or generally just like later in the day to, to help yeah. with sleep. If I have like a carb heavy meal in the morning, um, I, like for breakfast, oatmeal or something like that. I, I just tend to feel sluggish through the day. I don't know if you have the same, the same kind of feeling. Yeah. I, I stopped eating oatmeal years ago because it's very slow to digest. I find a lot of people have gut health with it, gut mm -hmm. health issues with it. There's kind of this conception like, Oh, oats is, you know, this great bodybuilding food. But when we kind of look at it, it's like, especially if you're eating a lot of it, you're not going to feel too great. So I've kind of switched myself, my clients over to cream of rice. 
just is basically just granulated rice. There's some really good companies out there that sell it, or you can just make it yourself by just like grounding up regular rice and then adding in like some cocoa, some cinnamon, some stevia. Right. But it digests like so quickly, right? It's one of those meals. Like if you were to have a bowl of oats an hour before the gym, you, you wouldn't have digested it by the time you go to train. Right. Yeah. Or something like the cream of rice, like it, it's in and out. It's very fast digesting. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of keep in mind um, with carbohydrates. Yes, we could go a lot lower on them if we're more like just focus on fat burning phase. But if the goal is to gain and retain muscle, we want to, we want to keep them pretty high. Yeah. Like I, I know like keto is very popular now and I think it's a great tool to use for like fat loss clients, right? But if you're trying to gain and retain muscle mass, yeah, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's 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 very hard to gain any significant amount of muscle unless you're brand new to the gym and working out. If you're eating next to no carbs in a keto a keto diet, yeah, and and for some people building muscle is not your focus, then by all means, like do your thing. I, I, I very much agree with you. And I'm of, of the same mind that in for, for more fat loss phases, keto or little to no carb diets can be a great tool. I, I, I find that they're almost not the best lifestyle for like, like long term for most people, but some people it is great. And I have no issues with that. Yeah. Um, I also think that, and, and I want to kind of get your opinion on this is I think it's a great tool to use as a teaching thing because most of us, eat way too many carbs that we don't realize too much bread, too much pasta, too much candy. And there's like, there's so many carb things. And so for a very short period of time, if we can learn to like take those things out and realize that, Hey, I can survive without eating all this junk. And I'm not talking about necessarily like removing the fruits and like the healthy stuff. I'm talking about the, the junk stuff, but we have to kind of cut it all off just to, just to make the point. Exactly. And and then you realize like, okay, I can, I can do this. I can eat other foods that are not just all carbs all the time. And I feel great. So like now we can intelligently reintroduce them. What what do you think about that? Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. I remember listening to Lane Norton talk about it and because there's, there's a lot of like fad diets, you know, like people are like, you know, you have to go keto, you have to go carnivore, you have to be vegan, vegetarian, paleo, like all these different diets. But when you break it down, what are they all doing? They're getting rid of all the junk, shitty food, right? Uh, yeah. And none of those diets there, do you have McDonald's? Do you have pizza? Do you have, you know, all this fast foods? So, or do you have sugar candy, right? So the main reason why I believe they work is because they're just eliminating all the junk food. Yeah. Right. And people kind of, they think it's like magic because it's this diet and, but it's like, no, let's just kind of break it down. You're first of all, you're going to be in a calorie deficit because you're not eating all these crazy junk foods. You're not having all this extra shitty fats and sugars that you would have had anyway. So it's going to work. Right. So your, your vegan diet, right. That works well because you've pulled out all the other foods, not just because you've pulled out the meats. Yeah. Right. You know, and same thing with like the, the keto diet. You, know, you can't have sugar in in a keto diet, so that's probably why it's working pretty well for you. Yeah, yeah, totally agree and well said. It's like all these diets work, and the reason why people can legitimately say like, "Oh, I lost X amount of weight. I feel way better doing this diet," and people have like the same kind of reported findings doing like all the types of diets is because yeah, when you eliminate all the crap, it's going to be good. To take two yeah. extreme examples, like you're just mentioning, 
you start eating vegan, it wasn't the chicken breast that was giving you the problem. Like it's the, it's the McChicken from McDonald's that was giving you the problem that came with the burger and the fries and the Coke and all the stuff. And if you do the carnivore diet, great. It wasn't the broccoli. That was the problem. It was all the other junk that you were eating that, that was the, that was the problem, right? So for, for weight loss, for autoimmune stuff, maybe like different, different, uh, you know, different, um, implications, but for purely weight loss, uh, it's yeah. It's not the regular foods that were causing problems. No. It's all it's all the shit that you're taking out, and and yeah, exactly. It's hard to realize that for, for most people. So I think you know it's good to have the these kind of conversations and, and trying to get that information out there because at the end of the day, like calorie deficit is what you need, and we can slice yeah. that up however we want, but but that's the way to that's that's the only way to lose weight. Yeah. Now building off that, how do you set up uh, deficits for your clients, and like what are the some of the things that you do for yourself and, and for and for most other people? Yeah, for sure. So I'm more of a fan. This is something I've kind of been struggling with lately because I know macro-based diets are very popular in the fitness industry, right? So I I will typically stay away from those because if you tell someone their macros, you know, they'll be like, okay, I can go have like five chocolate bars and then that covers all my all my carbs for the day and maybe my fats and then I could just go have a couple of cups of egg whites and there's my protein. Like, yeah. you know, so like, I think it's... Uh, if if I trust them to do it, if I was to do a macro-based, I would give them a list. It's like, you can do macro-based, here's your macro split. So say, for example, you have someone, um, I calculate their macros, there's a few different methods, like there's the Mueller equation, or there's a whole bunch of different calculators online that you can use. It depends on the person, so I, I make sure I ask all the questions that I need to know before I calculate their macros. Then I'll be like, okay, kind of what are their goals here? Typically, I will actually start them off at maintenance, to just get them used to eating the same foods. Then after a week or two, I'll, I'll drop them into a deficit. I like the like the most common split I like to start with is 40% protein, 40% carbs, 20% fat, right? So for someone that's, if they're on a 2,000 calorie diet, that's 200 grams of protein, 200 grams of carbs, and 45 grams of fat, right? I like to split those up over, say if I have like a just a more entry-level client, I won't go with a training day and a rest day diet. Right. I just want to, it's the first time following a meal plan, following a structure, like let's not make it too complicated to begin with. And I like to, I like to start off with five meals a day. Cause I think that's attainable for most people. I do a little bit of a, a mind game with people. So like in bodybuilding, we're very regimented. We say like meal one, meal two, meal three, more four, more five. What I do with my lifestyle clients is I'll say, okay, we're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then we're going to have snack one in between breakfast and lunch. We're going to have snack two in between lunch and dinner, right? It's, it's just a mindset change and like, oh, I can do that easy. I can have three meals with two snacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the way I like to structure it is obviously if we're going to focus on being in a deficit, then that will be the, like the starting calories, right? The, the protein, I like to separate that evenly between the three meals, right? So we're having 200 grams of protein, is that 40 grams of protein per meal, right? I, I don't, I think that's the best way to do it like I said, there used to be that conception of you need to get a certain amount of protein after you train. At the end of the day, you can only like absorb what you can digest. Right. And, like typically anything more than like 40 grams of protein per meal, we're not going to be digesting it optimally. Right. So let's spread that out over those meals. And then the fats will may, depending on the time of day we'll train, I may put them at the other end of the day. So if we train later in the day, more fats in the morning. Um, but I'll kind of keep those kind of spread out similarly between the meals. 
And then like I mentioned, like the carbs, like I will find out what time of day they train. Even if I'm not doing the training and the rest day diets, and then I'll put more of the carbs towards that end of the day. Yeah. That's how I'll kind of split up my, my meal plans for my clients in a deficit. Um, I even like to go as far as for my lifestyle clients. I don't like to say diets. I like to say, okay, this, this is your meal plan. And I don't want them to think like, this is like a one-off diet. Like I want you to think, okay, like this is a lifestyle change that hopefully like long after we're done working together, you can implement this into your life. It's, right. it's not a one-off diet. You're going to learn a lot here about what foods work well for you and your body type and what digests well for you. And then I want you to keep eating those like long into the future. I, yeah. I do let most of my clients have a, a free meal once a week, right? But I don't just say you can go have anything. And I make sure in their chickens each week, they tell me exactly what they had. And I get them to tell me how they felt after having it, right? So a lot of times I'll be like, I had pizza and I felt trash afterwards. Once they kind of write that down and they realize that, I, I find that they don't go back to that meal. Interesting. Right? They're like, I felt trash after this. This doesn't digest well for me. My energy's down. Like my gut's distended. I'm bloated. And then they'll go to something next week. It's like, this week I had sushi. I felt amazing afterwards. And then they'll just like keep rolling with that. Like, Interesting. You said you said a lot of great things there, but we're, we're going to kind of zero in on that, on that end part there. So, I love that you make people very conscious of what they're eating because so much of, of let's just say disordered eating and not eating disorders as like a diagnosis, but disordered eating as in just poor eating behaviors happens because we're unconscious. We have no idea what we ate. You ask someone, what did you eat for lunch yesterday? They have no idea. And so yeah. then you wonder why you've gained 40 pounds in, in, in the last six months. Well, you have no idea what you're eating. So of course, so why would you pay attention? And this has, I think, been exacerbated over COVID as well, but, but having people understand how they felt physically and, and probably emotionally is is a very powerful tool I, yeah. I imagine to to help people to understand like hey what did this food do to me and going back to like trade-offs and costs is it worth me feeling like crap for 12 hours or 24 hours after I had that pizza if yes if it's worth it to you <laughs> then do it if not then maybe stay away from it and, and keep finding other quote-unquote cheat foods that yeah. uh, that don't make you feel like complete crap yeah, exactly. It's just being conscious of that. And I, I'm like, with, with this is how bodybuilding comes into like the lifestyle program is bodybuilders were very regimented. You know, we weigh every single gram of rice. Right. We know exactly how much food is in each meal. And people don't typically do that. Right. I still like to have my lifestyle clients do that. I know there's like some of the, some like coach, like precision nutrition, which is one of the top ones. I really don't like the way they program their diet because they'll say like have a handful of protein, a fistful of carbs. And yeah. I just like to be a bit more accurate in that because, you know, people often miscalculate how much they're actually eating by like 30% over yeah. the day. Right. So if we're not weighing it, then that could be the difference between you gaining weight and losing weight. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I think just being conscious of like, obviously when you're weighing your food, you know exactly how much you're having. Right. So that's super important. I know it can be a little bit tedious, but I don't think it's a bad practice to get into for yeah. anyone. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not expecting most people to weigh their free meals if they go out to a restaurant. Like that's next level bodybuilder. If you <laughs> bring your food scale to the restaurant with you, I've done it before. Um, you've definitely got some funny looks. But I think, uh, yeah, just keeping in mind how each food makes you feel. Because right? I give my clients options, right? So, like, you know, instead of this jasmine rice, you could maybe have like, some couscous, some quinoa, 
some sweet potato, potato at like certain weights that match the same amount of calories or carbs. Right. But keeping like keep conscious of how each one makes you feel. And we're going to want to use that one because that's what your body is digesting the best. So you, you got to like pay close attention to like how it makes you feel. And that's what we're going to lean towards. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I, I notice a lot of the time when clients come to me, they're eating pretty, pretty freely, right? They're eating a whole bunch of just random food and they're kind of like, they come to me like, I feel like I've got no energy. I, I feel terrible. I'm always tired. And even after a week or two, they'll be like, holy shit, my energy's improved dramatically. I, I feel amazing right now. Like, And I'm like, okay, I kind of told you that would happen just because we pulled out <laughs> all the junk food. And then they'll go and they'll have a free meal, which is something that they ate daily before they came to me. Yeah. And then they'll be like, I felt, I felt trash. I felt terrible. I didn't used to feel like that after eating that meal. I'm like, well, realistically, before you came to me, you know, we were feeling down here all the time. Right. And then when we cleaned up the diet, you started feeling a little bit better. And when you brought in that meal like you were eating before, you went back to how you were feeling before, but you didn't notice the difference because you were always feeling that way. Absolutely. I, I always say the same thing. It's like when you start eating healthy, then you go have an unhealthy meal, you feel like garbage. And then you realize yeah. after a conversation, like, wow, that's how I used to feel all the time. That was just my normal. So I didn't realize how bad yeah. I felt, but it's like, geez, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to yeah. go back. I don't want that to be my new normal. And no. I think, I think that's a, you know, understanding that and, and making them conscious of it is, um, is a very, very powerful tool to, that's to use. Super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's something that will stick with them for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And another thing I think you said that was great there was about finding even among like the quote unquote healthier foods which ones make you feel better because foods are about more than just the calorie content. If foods yeah. were only about like the macros and calories that were in them, we could just drink shakes like all day exactly. and like have everything perfectly exactly weighed out, but there's other minerals, other nutrients and just the enjoyment of having food. So like if for example, sweet potato makes you feel like crap, like don't eat sweet potato. There's nothing magic about it. Doesn't mean it's a bad food, but it might just not be a great food for you or for the individual. Right. Exactly. And like I, I've went through an experiment of like, I love sweet potato and I started having it like four meals a day because there's sugar alcohols in it. I'm like, my gut started to feel terrible. I'm like, okay, I can do like one meal a day and feel great. But if I start doing it too, too much. So I think it's important to also have variety in your, yeah. in your meal choices as well. Yeah. Because this is also how we live. Like you said, most people are what we would call kind of lifestyle clients, not bodybuilding clients for bodybuilding clients. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to You got to suck it up and you got to do it because it's not about how much you enjoy it. It's about getting, yeah. looking the best on stage and you're exactly. going to have to make sacrifices to do so. But for most people, they don't have to make those sacrifices. No. So, you know, finding ways to enjoy everything that you're doing is, is a hugely important part of it. And this is where it goes back to that concept of like, uh, a lifestyle, a long-term strategy versus a diet. When we call it a diet, it seems like there's an end date and then you just stop doing it and go back to everything else. And exactly. that's not true. If you if if you go back to whatever you were doing before, you're going to start to look like you did before. And that's yeah. not what most and people want. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so, so understanding and, and educating people on how to like create this as a lifestyle and that you don't have to be in a deficit for forever. Like do your deficit, get down to the weight that you want or the physique that you want. And then live at maintenance and stay there. Like that's where we should, that's where we should be. We don't need to be losing weight all the time. And if you're losing weight for three years in a row, unless you have an insane amount of weight to lose, 
that you're, you're doing something wrong. It shouldn't, shouldn't take three years. Exactly. And that's, that's something I try to do with all my clients. Like, so if, you know, the goal was originally weight loss, okay, we, we know the goal that we're trying to get to. Let's, uh, obviously we need to be in a bit of a deficit to get there, right? But once we get there, I want to start giving you more food without sacrificing body fat. So even the last month, I've done it with a few clients. It's like, okay, we've got you down to that goal here. I'm going to slowly start bumping up your coup because we were pretty low. Some of them were about 1,500 calories, and I don't like to go much lower than that. Mm-hmm. Don't think it. You see some of these crazy diets, they're like less than 1,000 calories a day, and I, I think that's very unhealthy yeah. and irresponsible as a coach, right? I yeah. think it's going to cause a lot more damage in the long run. But even 1,500 calories is not a whole lot of food. Right? especially if we're training, we're working hard, getting our steps in. So let's get you there, and then let's slowly start to increase that food back up so you know your body gets used to eating a little bit more food, and then we just got to make sure we don't do it at such an aggressive rate where we start putting on body fat again. Yeah, yeah, we want to find maintenance and then yeah. and then stay there. We don't just want to overshoot and it should be and it should still be measured like you eat a little bit more. If your weight starts to go up, like your weight will go up a little bit just holding on to a little bit more water maybe, but yeah. if it go if it shoots up then like you've overshot your maintenance and and you're now in a yeah. in a gaining or uh, you're in a surplus rather. So yeah, you want to like maintenance. Maintenance it doesn't it's not necessarily a set point, right? Right. You know, if we can improve your metabolism through like good, healthy food choices, we can improve your NEAT, maybe your training intensity, your maintenance is going to go up. That's ideally what I would like to do. You know, it's like slowly that maintenance level will go up so you can eat food more freely, you know, and then get away with it. You know, you don't have, you don't look at a burger and put on five pounds. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, being able to eat more and maintain your weight or your body composition is great. And I think that 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 is also something that probably happened to a lot of people through covid where they were eating the same amount people who didn't go crazy on snacks and stuff but you know you weren't going to work so you didn't walk from your from your car into the office you didn't do any laps around the office you went from your bed to your desk and from your desk to the couch and the couch back to your bed and that was all the movement people got in a day and so even though they were eating the same amount people's activity level their neat got exactly. slashed like by 80% maybe and yeah. and then like well why am i gaining weight i'm not eating anything different it's like well it's more than just the food if you if you don't move that's also part of the whole maintenance calculation so to speak yeah I, and I've, I've had that conversation many many times yeah. this year i was like okay i was really good I, I didn't change my eating habits when i went but with covid i put on like 20 30 pounds and we kind of dive into it okay like what was your activity level beforehand versus now and then like okay we can kind of see your need has gone down dramatically you're maybe working throughout the day, walking around. Now you're sitting at home at a desk and you're eating the same amount of food, but you're doing 10,000 steps a day less. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it, it, it adds up. And and the other side of that equation is also having more muscle mass is going to increase your maintenance amount as well. Even if you're, even if your weight is the same. So if you're like totally new 100%. to the gym, you might weigh the same amount, but now you've put on a few pounds of muscle over a couple months of, of training. And so you'll be able to eat more and keep that and keep that same physique, which is, which is perfect, which is what we want. And so we exactly. want to put on muscle for that reason. Yeah. Extra muscle is one of the best ways to increase your metabolism. That's why these, you know, 300 pound bodybuilders are eating 4,000 calories a day and they're still shredded <laughs> year yeah. round yeah. And, because and think- they have so much muscle. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's a lot. Like if someone's 300 pounds, even like yourself, 280, like, 
and in and, and shape. And yeah, maybe you're a little fluffy at that, whatever, but like that's a very large human and people don't understand this. The difference between you listening, whatever, whatever weight you are, you're not, you're unlikely that you're like, you know, 300 pounds and like 12% body fat. That's not, that's not, that is a very different thing. So when you see someone who's eating 5,000 calories a day, that is for them and for that sport and for their body. That's not for you who listening, <laughs> who is not a professional bodybuilder. Exactly. Right. And I think, and I think, I think I've had this conversation before and probably this would be a good you're, you'd be a good person to ask about this is how does um, performance enhancing drugs or anabolic steroids play into that? Because that is also ramping up your base metabolic rate, depending on kind of what you're taking, where you need to continue to fuel more and to, and to eat more just to maintain that mass. Yeah, exactly. So there's certain compounds where you probably want to be eating a bit more food anyway. Like there's, you know, a bunch of pro bodybuilders will utilize insulin and you know it's, it's a very dangerous drug to use but you need to be eating a certain amount of carbs when you are using that right otherwise right. you're going to go hypo so there's and there's also other compounds that are going to allow you to eat a little bit more without putting on a bit of body fat like there's some uh, like psalms are very popular now and there's a certain one called mk677 which you know is going to increase appetite and allow people to eat a lot more right so right it's um with you with using these compounds at the end of the day there's nothing magic about them if if you're not putting in the work like if if your diet's trash um your training's trash they're not going to do anything for you yeah yeah it, it would be it would be cool i guess if you could just sit there and like inject yourself and not work out and eat mcdonald's yeah. all day and like be jacked and healthy but it's like you've got to almost work harder when when you start doing that stuff to get the most out of it. Otherwise, you're just doing damage to yourself and getting getting no benefit. But the point is to to be exceptional, not to be normal while you're doing those things. Exactly. Like these compounds, they're if you're not putting in the work, like say like testosterone, it's not going to help you grow more when you're in the gym, but it will help you recover faster and be able to push more the next time you do go to train. Right. Right. Like I, I noticed that myself um, when I'm on cycle, I'm able to push that much harder in the gym and recover that much quicker without getting sore the next day or the day or two after. But when I come off cycle, I definitely notice that my training intensity does suffer. Right. And so you have to obviously be, be mindful of that and, and also be mindful of how much you can push because you still want to push yourself like to the limit when you're, when you're on cycle and you want to get the most out of it. If you just do like a six out of 10 effort training session when you're on cycle, it's like, well, what was, what was the point of that? I could have pushed way harder and got way more benefit out of this. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's something, um, you know, there's often a debate about, uh, you know, training to failure or leaving reps in reserve. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm a true believer that, you know, if you want to, like, if you look at all the top pros, they're all training with heavy ass weight to failure, right? There's no studies out there that have been done in these top bodybuilders and enhanced individuals. All the studies are out there and just the general population, right? Right. But if you take like a look at what's working for the top pros that are using anabolics, they are able to push their body to that next level to failure, you know, every single workout and they are getting results from that. So there's, there's a big difference between enhanced and non-enhanced. Of course. Do you change your training style when you're, when you're on cycle or do you just push a little bit harder? Like do you, do you change the volume or, or frequency or anything like that? No, I'll, I'll use the same style year round and it, it's it taken me a while to get this dialed in, but, um, 
I used to just go in without tracking my workouts just randomly and then just go through. I do find that I'm able to push a little bit heavier when I'm on cycle compared to not on cycle. But at the end of the day, um, I'm going to push at least one or two working sets per an exercise to all out failure. Right. Right. And I'm able to get away with that, especially when I am enhanced. I, I think it does make sense, but I'm still going to do that. Like right now I'm just on TRT dose, 150 milligrams a week. And I'm still able to continually push PRs on this just because everything else is on point. You know, my right. sleep's perfect. My diet's perfect. My needs up there, my intra workout nutrition. So I'm still able to push even more than I was when I was on cycle last year, just because I've kept that going. I don't, I don't think it's uh, like a lot of times you can play mind games with yourself and think, oh, because I'm not on right now, I won't be as strong. That's also a limiting belief. And if you, you know, you've got the same amount of muscle that you did last time when you did it. Right. right? So I think it's important to like, if just keep pushing it, right. You may notice you suffer a little bit, but as long as you just, you know, don't pull back and then still push to a failure, I think you can still improve a fair amount off cycle compared to on cycle. Yeah, of course. Especially like you said, if you're, if everything else is on point, there's no reason that you should really regress so far, unless you've taken a significant amount of time off. If you come off cycle and you're still training and, and everything's going well, if you're eating more, your sleep, nutrition, whatever is all on point, then like, yeah, maybe, maybe pushing X weight on yeah. cycle, you may have gotten, if you were still on it right now, maybe you would have got 15 reps the, right now off cycle. You, maybe you got 12 reps, let's say to, exactly. to, to failure. And so it's like, yeah, it was still to failure. And maybe you had a couple less quote unquote effective reps, like as they're called. And, and, and that's the difference between like on cycle versus off cycle, but the, but the training methods are more or less the same. Exactly. And even like, uh, you know, majority of my clients are not on cycle, right. probably never will be, uh, but they're still seeing really good results because we have all those other variables in place. Like there's yeah. no reason. Wow, because I have my clients track all their workouts. Like I have an app, I can see every single rep that they track, and I make sure we want to improve one of three things every week, right? So either we get the form improved a little bit, you know, slower control eccentrics, more range of motion, we get more reps on the same weight, you know, one or two more reps, or we go up in weight. Even if it's a pound from last week, mm -hmm. and you get, say, you get 100 pounds last week for 10 reps, and you get 101 pounds this week for 10 reps, that's still an improvement. Right. So I want to, you know, you do that every week. That's 52 pounds over the year. Yeah. You know, that's no joke. That's quite a lot of weight. So it's like, I think it's very important to track your workouts, progressively overload and take it to a failure. If you're leaving reps in the tank every single set, I just, I don't see how you're really able to effectively grow that muscle. Right. It's uh, like Ben Bukowski, like he's, he's from out your ways, right? He's, he's a very yeah. smart guy. And, he basically said like a novel stimulus requires a novel response, right? So if, if you go into the gym and you do a hundred pound bench press every week for a year, that muscle is not going to grow, right? There's nothing forcing it to adapt, right? But if you slowly add on a pound every week, you know, that muscle is going to get bigger because it needs to get stronger and it needs to grow to be able to handle that new stimulus. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, obviously the principle of progressive overload, like, overarches everything in training like if you're not doing that you're just you're just going to the gym to get sweaty and move around and and like by all means like that's okay too but 
don't pretend that you're going to get stronger or bigger if you're just not progressing exactly. in some way. And there are a lot of ways to progress and probably for beginners, uh, like I, I wouldn't really take a beginner to, to failure. And I don't think you would either just because there's, no. they, first of all, they don't, they're not technically proficient enough to get there to, it's very hard to understand what actual failure is. Like I, I would argue that their idea of failure is nowhere near what, like I will say, exactly. so typically I would say, I want you to go to to failure, even when they're starting, right? Right. But I know because I have my athletes send me videos of their exercises. Right. I know that's not failure. Yeah. But just from seeing with them, like I trained with a client here the other week, and um, just as an experiment, I on uh, the seated hamstring curls, I'm like, okay, do do this set of this way to failure. I didn't I didn't like intervene or anything, right? She had a rest, and I think she got like ten reps on this one, right? And then had a bit of a rest. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to push you to true failure on this set. Okay. And then we went and I was pushing her every single rep and she got to 22 reps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So her idea of failure compared to what I could see was actual failure for her. It was very different. And even myself, you know, I've been training for about 10 years. It wasn't really only for this last year. I actually truly knew what failure was for me. Yeah. And I, I don't think many people even actually truly understand for themselves what failure is. No, most most people don't. It's it's very difficult to get to. And, and I think what you said at the end there was perfect is even if you're training yourself, it's very hard to identify because your mind plays so many tricks on you. It's very hard to identify without someone else there watching you and pushing you. Maybe you can watch the video back and see, but it's like if your 10th whatever final rep looks the same as your first rep, like that, that wasn't failure, despite it, your, you know, your legs are screaming and your face is all red and you're grunting. And like, it doesn't matter if the reps look the same, they haven't, the weight hasn't slowed down. Like you've still got reps in the tank and yeah. it, your, your mind is telling you to stop. But like, that's the part, that's the part, the losing my speech. That's the part where you've got to, you've got to push through. I think, I, I believe Arnold, there was a quote where he said he doesn't, he doesn't even count reps until, until it starts to burn or something yeah, to, to, yeah, to, to that effect. That. And it's like, yeah, this is one of those like old school things before any studies, before any research, he just knew that to be true and just did it. But yeah. understanding where true failure is, is a, is a skill I think it, in and of itself. But, but anyways, to bring it back to the progressive overload, like, yeah, getting better form is, is good. Increasing the weight, good increasing reps good increasing time under tension through like controlled eccentrics or whatever you have you you have uh good and yeah there's always there's always something that you've got to be pushing towards otherwise you can't exactly. really expect to make progress yeah that's where the logbook is clutch right obviously yeah. you know now we have smartphones there's some awesome apps out there like i use a uh, fitlog which is a canadian based one yeah which is awesome you can log all the reps and you can see okay last week i did this much weight for this many reps right in order to beat that, I'm not going to put on a little bit more weight or go for a few more reps. I, I'll often program rep ranges mm -hmm. for all of my clients. I won't just say a specific. So like if we're going on a heavier rep range, we may go like, okay, let's do six to nine, right? Maybe, um, you know, maybe we do 10 to 12 or on a higher rep range day, we, we may do like 15 to 20. There's great opportunity for growth across all these rep ranges. It's not just 10 to 12 reps on everything. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing yourself a disadvantage if you just stick with that one rep range. And yeah. I'll often program uh like different days throughout the throughout the training cycle. So like we'll have heavy days where we maybe do six to nine or ten to twelve reps, and we'll have more pump focused days where we'll do, you know, thirteen to sixteen, fifteen to twenty reps on those days. Because right. at the end of the day, like there's 
two main ways of hypertrophy. So there's myofibular, which is like where you're you're tearing the muscle and it grows back bigger and stronger. And you mainly achieve that from going heavy in the gym till failure, which is, you know, those lower rep ranges. But you also have sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, which is more of that pump feeling that you get when you're, you know, putting more sarcoplasmic fluid in that muscle and that swelling feeling, which also helps grow that muscle, right? So I think it's important to utilize both methods in a training cycle. So there's like in a pro bodybuilding, like there's guys like Dorian Yates and Ronnie Coleman that would do more of the myofibula where they just go super heavy, super hard, tear that muscle down and it works really well for them. But there's guys, you know, in the later years like Phil Heath and Jay Cutler where they focus on more of that pump feeling, like higher rep sets, and that works really well for them too. And everyone's a little bit different. Like you might work well with one style of training while I might work well with the other. But most people, it's very hard to know which works for them. So it's like, okay, let's let's do both just to make sure we get... Well, you know, yeah, there's no way to know which one is going to work best until you try both. And unless you're like hitting that elite level, you'll never yeah. really know anyways. No, so I, I, I don't know myself. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Like you might as well just do both. And then if you tend to like or enjoy one more, then yeah. then stick with that because that that like enjoyment of it is probably gonna make you push harder at it and like over the long run you're gonna you're gonna get more out of it rather than, oh my god, I the thought of doing twenty reps of something yeah. like is is horrific to me. I don't even want to go to the gym and you're unmotivated and you're not excited for it. But like, yeah, I can I can bang out seven reps at like my max weight. Like that's great. Then like, yeah. hey, like do 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 that. But you gotta find what, what works for you best. Exactly. End of the day, the best training program is the one that you stick to, right? Yeah, yeah. No matter what, whether you're uh, it, professionally bodybuilding or competing at something or, you know, general population, regular person just trying to get healthy. Like yeah. the best workout is the one that is the one that you're going to stick to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Very good. I, I appreciate your time. This has been, it's been an awesome conversation. Um, there, we could, we could keep going for forever on, on, on these kind of things, but uh, I think we covered a lot and, and maybe people will have to re-listen to this one and, and take some notes on some things because there's a lot of details in this conversation, but uh, I appreciate you. If there's, is there anything else that you want to kind of leave the people with here in, in closing? No, man, this is actually my first podcast. So it was, uh, it's pretty cool for me. Uh, I haven't really done them and I listen to podcasts like crazy, a couple every day. So yeah. It, was, it was awesome to be on one. So thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. No, I appreciate you. I, you, you did great. No, I don't think anyone would be able to tell this was your first podcast. <laughs> um, and this is part of the beauty of podcasts. We just get to talk and it's like, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm grilling you and, and testing you like in school. We were just having a chat about stuff that you know about. So like it comes off uh, very easy. Right. So, so yeah, yeah. so you're, you're awesome. Um, if you listen to this, uh, you know, people listening, send Levi a message to tell him how great he was and that you want to hear more of him. And, um, and that's that man, let people know also where they can follow you and website and coaching and all that stuff. And I'll throw it in the show notes as well. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, my coaching company is a uh, levitate lifestyle. So it's just uh levitate lifestyle on Instagram. Same thing for uh, social media like our facebook and then the website is just uh levitate lifestyle.ca so you message me on there or on instagram social media any of that awesome man thank you very much i appreciate you levitate lifestyle on instagram give him a follow give me a follow as well while you're at it at daniel yours i appreciate each and every one of you if you enjoyed this podcast please send it to a friend who might learn something from it listen back to it send us send either of us a message on any questions you have uh, give the podcast a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps the show go a long way. And that's it. I appreciate you. Train hard, rest hard, eat well, be a good person. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.